Hello, this is Cleo Pascal, and welcome to Chatham House's Strategic Perceptions of the Indo-Pacific. This episode, we're in Nuku'alofa in the Kingdom of Tonga in the South Pacific. It's February 18th, and we just held our experts roundtable thanks to the great work done by our local partner think tank, the Royal Oceania Institute. The discussion came up with some very interesting and practical policy recommendations, as well as in-depth analysis of the bilateral relationships between Tonga and a range of partners. You'll hear a bit of it now from our two guests. First up is Lord Fafanua, Chairman of the Royal Oceania Institute and Tonga's Speaker of Parliament. He'll give us an overview of Tonga's strategic positioning over the last century or so and what he sees going forward. Then we'll talk to Siamali Latu, whose distinguished career includes rising to the rank of colonel in the Tongan military, as well as serving as Tonga's ambassador to China. He's currently Secretary General of the Tonga-China Friendship Association, and he'll tell us a bit about Sino-Tongan relations. So please settle in as we head off to the Kingdom of Tonga. I'm the chairman of the Royal Oceania Institute, Lord Fafanua. So the Royal Oceania Institute is Tonga's only and first think tank. We're based out of Nukualofa and we had a soft launch in 2016. We're the first think tank in Tonga based on independent research and analysis. Tonga has a long history of strategic independence, so this is the latest incarnation, but could you tell us a little bit about some of the early milestones in Tonga's strategic history? So Tonga's always been a strategic important country since the 19th century. We've signed treaties with Germany and France and the US and the UK. Before that, Tonga was historically a hub in Polynesia. But more recently, Tonga defined itself through its 1875 constitution declaring its geography, its boundaries, and its relationships with the outside world. So going through history, Tonga's constitution defined it and set it apart from the rest of the Pacific, forging relationships with the colonizing countries at the time. Through that period in the 19th century, right to today, Tonga's maintained its sovereignty in a multipolar world and is now forging relationships with the big power brokers of today. Does Tonga's social, cultural and political structure, which includes a royal family, have an effect on its strategic engagement? Of course, the royal family gives Tonga a disproportionate amount of access compared to its size. So we have a special relationship with the royal family in the UK, um, in the Middle East, and also with the imperial family in Japan. And of course, uh, the, the king has a very close relationship with the king of Thailand. So in terms of the access that our diplomacy has, I think that Tonga has a lot of reach and gets into a lot of rooms that other countries traditionally won't be able to get into. And additionally, I think the military also has a bit of a role to play. Are there many countries in the region that have a military? Not many countries have a military. Fiji is somewhat larger than Tonga, but apart from them, Tonga has a standing defense force. And we have a very close relationship with the West, specifically since World War II. Tonga was part of the Allies side, and because of that, uh, we've also supported the U.S. in uh, missions in Iraq and also engagements together with the United Kingdom in Afghanistan. And we continue to have uh, military 
and strategic partnerships with other standing armies and forces such as France and many other countries. How have some of the strategic shifts that we've seen in the broader Indo-Pacific over the last 10-15 years affected the Kingdom of Tonga? Well, I think it's topic of now there's a lot more influence in the region from Asia, specifically China, and as a result um, we've seen an increase in uh, Japan's presence. So at the same time this has somewhat strained or challenged the traditional relationship that Tonga has with its Western partners through Australia, New Zealand and America. But at the same time we maintain friendly and cordial relationships with, with all parties. So is this a challenge, an opportunity? How is Tonga trying to navigate these increasingly complex waters? It's more of an opportunity. Um, now with um, checkbook diplomacy really at the table, um, Tonga just needs to uh, pick and choose what benefits Tonga first and the Tongan people uh, in terms of the, the greater picture. Tonga is an advocate for a rules-based order so um, Tonga signs on to international treaties, we're a full member of the United Nations, we participate in, in, in the global order as a legitimate and sovereign country. A lot of countries are in the same position as Tonga where they're caught in this hedging position between China and the West. Does Tonga have any lessons or thoughts about how to protect your own strategic autonomy and do what's best for your own people, as you said, in that context? In that context, I think that where we've had traditional partners, we can see that there was a somewhat a failure in diplomacy when the United States and when the UK kind of pulled out of the region after the Cold War. And now with the increasing strategic importance of the Indo-Pacific region, we are seeing a, a refresh in the Western approach with the US partnership with Tonga. We have a new defense partnership with the Nevada Guard and with Australia and New Zealand, there is a new renewed sense of urgency. Uh, they have a new Pacific reset policy. So we can see that the, the West is readjusting, but it seems like a knee-jerk reaction to China's increasing influence and in checkbook diplomacy in the region. And, and Tonga needs to be aware of the strategic importance placed on security and why these players are, are back in the region so that it can ensure that it gets the best deal for itself. Are the priorities of the Western partners aligned or taking into account Tonga's priorities? That's yes and no. Of course, every priority has an agenda and sometimes those agendas don't align, but the, the nuance there is, is left to the diplomats. There, there, there are sometimes treaties that are more in favour of our much larger trading partners, but I think that you know certain pressures are, are not called for and Tonga could possibly cut a better deal through bilateral relations. Going forward, looking forward to 2024, what would be developments that are good for Tonga in the Indo-Pacific and what could be more problematic? Well, right now, Tonga is a small island developing country. And as such, we suffer from a very narrow-based economy. The main choke points for economic growth are transportation, the cost of energy, and access to markets. And obviously, Asia is a large market and has 
a massive potential for tourism. At the same time, we have traditional trading partners in Australia and New Zealand. So certain tariffs and trading conditions, um, non-tariff barriers could ease and help alleviate these growth issues that Tonga's economy is facing. And to exacerbate the situation, Tonga is at the forefront of climate change and the negative effects that it has on a small island country. The cost of energy is very cost prohibitive for most new businesses and emerging economies in Tonga. What we would like is to have more support focused towards tackling these major issues and, and bottlenecks for growth in our economy. To give you an example, the gateway into Tonga is through New Zealand flights, Fiji flights and Australian flights. A lot of our tourists come in from America, Europe and Asia. And those tourists might face visa restrictions, whether they're transiting through Australia or New Zealand. And at the same time, because of a lack of direct flights into Tonga, there could be a cost factor there as well. With our dependency on, on aid and foreign remittances, Tonga is very much a labor export country. We send a lot of laborers through seasonal work programs into Australia and New Zealand. Uh, we have a lot of diaspora living in America and Australia and New Zealand who send money back to their families. These are sort of unsustainable forms of income and for Tonga to really grow we need to tackle uh, routes of trade and open up markets so that we can export to these countries. And I think if our neighbours and our trading partners facilitate that, it would really help Tonga's economy grow. Are some of the strategic issues linked to the economic reality? Yes, uh, some of the strategic issues linked. For example, China's diplomacy with Tonga has opened up a visa-free arrangement between Tonga and China, and that's really opened up the potential for Chinese tourism and, and also investment. If visa restrictions were to be relaxed between Tonga and its traditional allies in the West, there is a potential for more trade to happen between the, these two countries. So moving forward, how will Tonga be navigating these increasingly complex times? I think traditionally Tonga has maintained a foreign policy of enemy to nobody and friend to all. And I think that's evident in recent history uh, in the last couple of years when new missions and new areas of engagement. Tonga has a new mission in the UAE which of course opens up many opportunities both for cultural exchanges and for economic and other opportunities for education for Tongans. At the same time we're also looking into opening embassies in other parts of the world in Europe as well and of course potentially more in Asia. Maybe we might expand our presence in India for instance. So Tonga's engagement isn't closed to a certain party in this multipolar world. At the end of the day, Tonga needs to think of what is most beneficial for Tonga, but at the same time be a global player and maintain the global order. Yeah, my name is uh, Colonel Retired from the Army, Siamili Lato. Yeah, I was, I was in the military for 33 years, and retired in 2010 when I was posted to China as a Tongan ambassador to China. And when I came back, I was working in Foreign Affairs as Deputy Secretary of Foreign Affairs and the Acting Secretary of Foreign Affairs before I resigned in 2017 
running for a general election, but uh, couldn't make it. So now I am Secretary General of uh, Tonga China Friendship Association. How has the relationship between Tonga and China changed over the last 20 years? Say? Well, since the establishment of the diplomatic relations with China in 1998, yes, there has been tremendous changes over time. Uh, first of all, His Late Majesty King Tupou IV uh, initiated this relationship uh, because at the time we haven't been a member of the United Nations, so our establishment of diplomatic ties, you know, uh, China really supported us uh, through the United Nations. United Nations. And since then, uh, there has been a lot of change, you know, uh, economically, you know, the assistance from China and so forth, and counterpoll, of course. So the relations with China is very, very close, uh, and we, we like to keep it as it is, and uh, uh, keep it as warm as possible with, uh, with the Chinese, despite the fact that, uh, you know, the Western societies is sort of uh, sort of coming here and there, you know, because China is so active in the Pacific Islands and, you know, they start questioning uh, why China is so active in the Pacific Islands. It's a long time story to talk about it, uh, but it's, that's how we, uh, we came so far. You mentioned a bit about how the West has reacted to that. So has there been an understanding on the part of what traditional Western partners about why the Chinese relationship has been interesting for Tonga? Well, uh, let me let me put it this way. There is a geostrategic competition in the Pacific Islands, of course, you know, and especially between China and the Western countries, in particular the United States, you know, our traditional partners and so forth. The Pacific Island used to be United States security zones, you know that, you know, of course. And then, you know, after World War II, you know, it seems to me that uh, the Western societies, countries are starting to lose interest in the Pacific Islands, especially the United States. You know, they, they're moving away from um, uh, leaving the responsibility to Australia and New Zealand. Also, the British, uh, you know, so they pull out the, the high commissions and, and things like that. So to me, there was a diminishing role of our traditional partners in the Pacific Islands. And then China quickly picks up the loose ball, right? And that's why China is coming in uh, very actively in its soft diplomacy. And, and that's why China is active, you know, in the Pacific Island, because uh, offering assistance here and there without any string attached, uh, that is something that, uh, which is very important to us, you know, different from World Bank and ADB, you know, because, you know, if we ask ADB and World Bank for something, you know, there's conditions, you know, uh, they say, okay, before we offer you this, you have to devalue your money and blah, 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 and all these things, you know. But for the Chinese, you know, just give you whatever you want to do with it, it's up to you. You know, it's, it's uh, unconditional love. <laughs> and are there other new players also coming in? Apart from China? Yes. Well, India is coming in after the G20 in Brisbane. All the leaders rush back to their own country, except two leaders. Xi Jinping from China and Premier Modi, Prime Minister of India. They came to the Pacific Islands. They spent some time to come to the Pacific Islands and meet with the leaders of Pacific Islands. You see how important is those two leaders, you know, which means that not even, not only China is coming in, but I, India, I think, is offering assistance because I think India is coming up. 
since the world order is moving from the West to, to Asia, you know, and China, India is coming up, you know, Korea, Japan, and, and so forth. So this is a possibility, you know, a viable option for, for Tonga to sort of uh, assume further. Between now and say 2024, not, not so much, a few years down the road, how do you see things potentially developing for Tonga strategically? I think the West is coming in, they, they're coming back slowly. And I think we need to, as far as, as I'm concerned, Tonga should look at balancing its relations with, with these countries, especially China, India, and also the West, Western societies, because they're coming in to the Pacific Islands. And we will wait and see what the West is doing, what the United States and UK are looking at, whether they're going to reciprocate something, you know, the Pacific Islands, you know, to counter the Chinese coming in. I don't know, but we have to stay put and, and you know, look, because we are sort of enemy of none and friends of all. You know, uh, so we, we sort of have to look properly at the way how the West and the Asian countries are coming to the Pacific Islands, and we'll take it from there. What sort of engagement would be of interest to Tonga? Climate change, I think, is the key issue, in which I think China is very supportive of it. United States, they pulled back from Paris. I don't know why, but, uh, you know, so it seems to me, uh, you know, that China is very active in climate change, and uh, so, we will look at, at these possibilities, you know. So why United States is pulling back from Paris? Because why? They don't agree. You know, China is very supportive about it, about climate change. So climate change is a key issue in the Pacific Islands. It's something they will look at. And that was Strategic Perceptions of the Indo-Pacific from the Kingdom of Tonga in the South Pacific. Next week, we'll have Strategic Perceptions of the Indo-Pacific from Japan. I'm Cleo Pascal. Thank you for listening.